0: Not, that's fine. All good. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name's Jason, and uh, I'm not one of the pastoral staff from here, uh, but uh, this morning I've been asked to to speak, and uh, it's a real honour to do that. Um, every week at Refresh, we have a section at the beginning. We did it this morning, uh, where we talk about giving, and. At the moment, we had that video just a little while ago, and at the moment, we're partway through a series on our fundamental beliefs, which is appropriate, because I've been asked this morning to speak about our fundamental belief of giving, or stewardship, and if you're new to Christianity and to church, then stewardship may be a word that you're not really familiar with, and, and that's okay, we don't really use it too much these days, but it really just means, like, management or being a caretaker, being a steward of a, of a property, or something like that. Now, the Bible teaches that God made the world and everything in it, including mankind, including us, and then he appointed Adam and Eve as his caretakers, or stewards, to look after everything that he had made. It didn't belong to Adam and Eve, but they were free to enjoy what God had made, and to use it for their own well-being, and to bring thanks and glory to God through that. The Bible actually says in Psalms, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it is his. And so the Bible gives us some important principles about how we should manage both our lives and also our possessions, everything that we have. And the whole fundamental belief of stewardship comes down to one key What we believe we need in order to live the life we want. What we believe we need in order to live the life we want. Now, for many of you, stewardship and tithe may be a bit of an uncomfortable topic. Um, A little piece of you probably died this morning when I told you what we're talking about. Um, and I'm not too proud to admit that it's a bit of an uncomfortable topic for me too. And the fact that I've been asked to preach on this topic pretty much every year since 2013 <laughs> kind of makes me wonder whether God's trying to make a point in my life. <laughs> um, but, um, but this morning I want to have a look at something really interesting. And I want you to come along on a journey with me through a few passages of of the Bible. And I want to start at a story that Jesus told about stewardship. It's a great story. It's found um, in the Gospel of Luke in the New Testament, in chapter 12, and I think we've got it up on the screen. And this is what it says. Then Jesus said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life doesn't consist of an abundance of possessions. And he told them a story. The farm of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I don't have enough space for all my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I'll store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life's going to be demanded from you. And then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? And then Jesus says this. That's how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Now that's an interesting phrase. That stood out to me, rich towards God. So I've I've been reading about that and I've been studying that and I've been thinking about that in preparation for this morning because being rich towards God, I think, involves three things. It involves making him your portion. It involves trusting him. And it involves recognizing what's mine and what's his. Three things. You see, if I want to be rich towards God, I need to make him my portion. I need him to be everything that I want and need. Now, when I hear the word portion, my mind suddenly jumps to food, which isn't uncommon for my mind. Um, and whenever I think of, um, of portion and food, my mind then takes another leap to haystacks. Now, I'm guessing most people in the room know what haystacks are. If you don't, it's basically like an open taco. But with haystacks, you lay down your corn chips first on the plate. And the, uh, getting the order correct is very important. So listen up, all right, because this is how it's done. And then you put down your cheese. Whoa, hang on, i have got the mic, alright. <laughs> then you put down your cheese, and then your beans or whatever mixture, and then you start laying on your salad, your tomatoes, your cucumbers, your onions, you know, your, your olives, your gherkins, all the good things in life. You lay all that down. Now, the thing with haystacks is this: you can be thinking to yourself before haystacks, I'm not that hungry. You've been there, haven't you? There's people smirking. I'm not that hungry. I'm not going to eat much. But inadvertently, somehow, because there are so many bits to put on, by the time you get to the end, you've got this pyramid on your plate. You've got this massive portion on your plate. And it's a little bit like that, when we talk about making God our portion. Um, I'm reminded as well of another little instance where not too long ago I turned 40 and I'm getting heckled from my wife in the front not too long ago I turned 40 and um, and, and Melissa my wife came to me and she said what do you want for your birthday Jace? And I said well you know what I don't really want presents, I don't really want gifts there's really just one thing I want I'd really love Russian chocolate cake now This is a recipe that has been handed down from generation to generation in our family. This is a cake that I grew up on. This is a cake that I love. And all I wanted for my 40th birthday was this Russian chocolate cake. And the day finally came. And we were heading out the door to go to a bit of a shindig with a whole bunch of our friends. We were going to celebrate. And I saw Melissa walking towards the door with the cake in her hand couldn't miss it it's not a small cake it's a big cake it's it's the sort of cake that you actually have to carry on a wooden board with foil over it it's a good cake and I said to Melissa hey whoa whoa what are you doing and she said well we're going out to the to the party so um, I've got the birthday cake and I'm going I said no no that's my cake I'm not proud to admit this this is a true story So we had to drop through coals to pick up a little cheesecake to share amongst 40-odd people. We all got a sniff of this thing. It was quite underwhelming. Um, But I knew what my portion was of that Russian chocolate cake. And King David says this about God. He says, you are my full portion, O Lord. You are my portion, O Lord. Do you ever look at what you have in life? Kind of compare with the people next to you. Go on, look at the person next to you. Go on, do it. No one wants to, everyone's looking at me. Go on, look at the person next to you. Do you ever do that? Social media is terrible for this. And let's face it, we all do it. We all compare, we all look. And what I've observed is that some people have their portion perhaps in their own business or high-flying jobs and their wealth is abundant and it seems to just flow into them in constant streams of gold and money and then there are some other people that i've known through my life who had their portion in land you know they're, they're rich and their rental incomes or their harvest from farming bringing golden increases year on year Some have their portion in fame and power and influence. But ask yourself this, even if you had a Suncorp stadium of people chanting your name, would that provide any comfort to a troubled conscience? Or cheer a broken heart? Or fix your griefs or trials? Or help you when you lie on death's door about to meet your maker? But we God. And in Him, you have more than gold or riches could ever buy. In Him, when God is your portion, you have more than everything else combined. In Him, everyone is met, whether in life or in death. With God for your portion, you're rich beyond measure, Because he will supply your needs, he'll cheer your heart, he'll comfort your grief, he'll guide your steps. He'll be with you through the valley of the shadow of death and then take you home to enjoy life with him as your portion forever. That's what we have. I love the story of Jacob in the Bible, in the the early parts of the Bible. Um, the, The story of Jacob and Esau, two twins. Esau was the older, Jacob was the younger, and Jacob cheated Esau out of his birthright. And he was afraid, he was afraid that Esau was going to kill him. So he fled, he ran away to a foreign land, no less. And he lived there for years, so long so that he got married, um, he had kids, God blessed him. He got all sorts of herds and and, uh, donkeys and goats and sheep, and and he grew rich in this foreign land. And, And after a while, he wanted to return home. And he's heading home, but he's still scared of Esau. He's still afraid that Esau's going to kill him. Not just him now, but his wives and his kids, his whole family. And so he's heading back home, and he sends servants out ahead to spy out the land and see what's happening. And they come back and report that Esau's coming. He's heard that Jacob's returning, and he's coming with with a band of men on horseback, an army. And Jacob's thinking, oh, no. So he starts sending out gifts to Esau waves of gifts, waves of herds, different types of animals, one after the other. And eventually the two brothers meet. And Esau gets off his horse and comes running over to Jacob and throws his arms around him because he's just so happy to be reunited with his brother after all this time. And he says to Jacob, what's with all the animals? He says, I don't need that. And then Esau says to Jacob, I have enough, I have enough, and this really stands out to me because that's an awesome thing to be able to say, like let's face it, I have enough, to be able to say, you know what, I'm going to retire today because I have enough, no, I don't want your gifts because you know why, I have enough, yeah, I just won the lottery yesterday, but you know what, I'm going to give it all away because I've got enough, that's essentially what Esau does, And in Jesus' story of the rich farmer, suddenly he finds that he has enough too. And that's why he says, you know, I've got plenty of grain laid up for years. I'll take life easy. I'll eat, drink. I'll make merry. Esau says to Jacob, I've got enough. Which is probably the best thing that any person could say, right? And then I love this. But to Esau, Jacob replies... I have all things. I have all things. Now, that's an interesting thing to say. All things. All things is a whole nother league above enough, I'll tell you that much. And there is no way that any of us can say that we have all things unless we have Jesus as our portion. What's your portion? What's your portion? If you really want to be rich towards God, you also need to trust Him. Um, speaking in front of you lots a bit nerve wracking. I'll tell you that it really is, and um, and I've been preparing this sermon for. Thinking about the topic, trying to work out what I could do, looking at other sermons online, YouTube, listening to podcasts, reading books, studying scriptures of, of the you know passages in the Bible. I've been studying for weeks, and I had a sermon prepared, ready to go. But God just planted this seed of discontent in my head, and I was adjusting it yesterday, and I was it wasn't quite right. And I went to bed last night, and I was just thinking, God, it's just. Don't know. I just don't know. And so I just gave it to him in prayer and said, you know what? I just don't know. It's yours. Take it. I don't know what to do with this. Well, really early this morning, (laughs) really early, I just woke up. Um, I woke up from a, a really bad dream. Oh, no, it wasn't a really bad dream. It was just an uncomfortable dream. I, I dreamt that I was back at uni doing uh, exams, which is, you know, I mean, that's bad, right? And the thing about this dream, or the reason I woke up, was because no matter what I did, it wasn't enough. It wasn't good enough. You know, I'd read a, a question on a paper, and I'd go, yeah, I know that. And I'd start writing, and I'd go, oh, no, hang on, no, that's wrong. And it was just, oh, it was so frustrating. And I was just going around in circles, and I woke up. Now, I hardly ever dream. So when I do dream, I notice like, usually when I go to bed, Mel hates it. My head hits the pillow, and 20 seconds later, I'm asleep. And I know nothing until I either wake up or the alarm goes off. Like, I love it. It's great, right? It's frustrating as anything. It doesn't matter. I can be on an aeroplane. I can be in a car. Done. Gone. Like that. So when I dream, when I wake up from a dream, I take notice. And I'm lying in bed. It's dark outside. It's cold. And I'm thinking, oh, God, what was that? Like, I went to bed giving you this, uh, this sermon because I wasn't quite happy with it. And, and now this, like... Did you wake me up for a reason or not? And I heard this really, well, I thought, I'm just praying, and I thought to myself, I've probably got three options here, like I'm awake. Either I can roll out of bed onto my knees and just start praying to God about this and see what happens, or I've got to preach later today, so I need to kind of, you know, be awake and have a bit of energy. So the second option is I could just go back to sleep, so I've got enough you know, sleep to be okay for the day. Um, or third option, who knows, God, maybe you've got something else in mind. And I thought, you know what, second option sounds good. And I just heard this really small whisper, get on your knees. It was so quiet that I started second-guessing myself and thought,
1: yeah, no, sleep sounds good.
0: <laughs> and, um, and then I realised that if I had heard, get on your knees, then, then A, I needed to obey. B, if I got on my knees and I had misheard, and it wasn't that far to crawl back in the bed, that would be all right, wouldn't kill me, Would not the end of the world. And C, if I had heard God right, and he had something he was going to do, and I didn't want to miss out on being a part of that. Well, as soon as I rolled out of bed on my knees, instantly, I felt awake, I felt alert, um, I wasn't cold anymore. And I thought, wow, I, I, I actually thought, wow. So I started talking to God about the sermon and how I felt and how, you know, okay, well, what's going on and what, you know, what's this all about? And almost instantly, within seconds, this sermon structure came to mind and and these ideas started coming and and these messages started coming and it was as if God just went, hey, you know what, bang, there, try that. It was amazing. Some of it was really different to what I'd prepared. And some parts reused what I'd already prepared. But the order and the main message, the whole thrust of the thing was completely different. It was a completely different message than what I'd had before. Now, it's nerve-wracking enough to get up and talk in front of you people. But to do it with hardly any notice of what you're actually going to talk about is even more nerve-wracking. We need to more deliberately and more intentionally look for ways to grow our trust in God. If we want to be rich to God, We need to learn to trust him more. And that means stepping out of our comfort zones. And that's scary, because we're stepping out of not relying on ourselves, but relying on someone or something else. And we don't like doing that. We like to trust ourselves more than anyone else, even though so often when we do that, we end up just letting ourselves down. We still like to do that rather than trusting anyone else, right? And it's really, I guess, well, strange, but appropriate. What a coincidence that after the story about the barns that Jesus told, he goes on to say... You know what? Don't worry. Don't worry. In Luke twelve twenty four, he continues. He says, and I'm paraphrasing here a little bit, but you've got it on the screen. He says, look at the birds. They don't sow or reap. They don't need barns. God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than the birds? And don't worry about your food or your clothing or your stuff because everyone needs those things and your father knows that you need them too. But seek first his kingdom and all these other things are going to be given to you as well. Don't be afraid. Your father has been pleased to give you the whole kingdom. Wow, the whole kingdom. He's already given it. I love the way the Apostle Paul describes this. He says in 2 Corinthians you know the grace of our lord jesus christ that though he was rich for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich he was rich but for your sake became poor so that through that you through his poverty might become rich jesus gave up his riches in heaven as the creator and the ruler of the whole universe to be born in a stinky barn on a sinful world where he served people his whole life and then gave me his life so that I could become a son of God and an heir to his kingdom and become rich beyond all comparison. How's that for a good story? And we've been bought at a great price. We're his. We act as if our lives... You know, I mean, can we act as if our lives belong to us? Given that He gave us everything, how much are we willing to trust Him? How much are we willing to give back to Him? If we want to be rich towards God, we need to start looking for ways to more intentionally trust Him. And if I have a mindset of being rich towards God, something else will happen. I will want to give myself to Him. I will want to give Him everything that I have. Let me put it another way. We're talking about being rich towards God. Let's look at it another way. What, 19 odd years ago, 20 years ago, I met the love of my life, Melissa. We've been married for years, it's it's been terrific. Being rich towards Melissa is just a wonderful way for me to live. You know, I found this relationship and I, and I love her dearly and I just I want to give her everything. You know, when we first started dating, after one month, I bought her a long stem single red rose and gave it to her as a gift. And on the second month, I thought, hey, you know, that kind of worked last time, let's try it again. And then by the third month, it was kind of looking like it was something that was going to continue. And even though it was going to cost quite a bit as time went on, I thought, yeah, we'll do this. We got to month 12, and I gave her a, a box of, um, of red roses, 12 red roses. And not just that, I gave her our first child, a five-foot teddy bear named Magnus that I found in a store in Launceston. And, um, you know, that's what it's like, being rich towards Melissa. I, I like to give her things. I want her to have things that will make her happy and that will make her life pleasant, all manner of gifts and things that she wants. I'm not thinking about myself and how much I can hoard for myself and keep for myself instead of giving to her. That's what it's like to live in a way that you want to be rich to somebody else. Have you ever fallen in love with God like that? Where you want to give to Him? It's not a question of, do I have to give to Him? You just want to give to Him. You love him so much that you just, you just want to hand it all over. Whatever he says, whatever he asks. And you can give him all sorts of things. Um, you can use your body and your mind to honour God. You can give that to him. You can dedicate that to him. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, Don't you know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is inside you, who God gave to you? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. And in Luke we read that we're to love God with all of our hearts, all of our souls, all of our strength, and all of our mind. You can honour God, you can be rich in God by giving Him who you are. And each one of us has special abilities that we can use to honour God, to serve God. You, know, you may be talented in music, like the guys that were up here this morning leading us. You, you may be good with manual trades, such as sewing or cooking or mechanics. You may make friends easily and help others connect. And we can develop our talents to God's glory or for our own personal selfishness. And you know what? If you're not sure what your God-given spiritual gifts are, then I'd recommend come up to the Connect desk at the end and give us your names, and we might be able to help you with that as well. You can give him the wise use of your time. The Bible says, whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart, as if working for the Lord, not for men. Like Jesus, we need to be about our Father's business, because time is a gift from God. Each moment is precious. And faithful stewardship of our time means using it to get to know Jesus, to help the people around us, to share the good news about salvation and about what he's done for us. Also, at creation, when God gave time to us, He kept one day, the seventh day, the Sabbath, he kept it as different and holy and and separated from the rest. A day when we should put aside living for ourselves and live for God and the people around us in a special and deliberate way. And we can also choose to use our possessions and the resources that God has given us on this world for God's purposes as well there's a really great quote in the Bible that says this God speaking to his people and he says you may say to yourself my power and my strength and my hands have produced this wealth for me but remember the Lord your God for he is the one who gives you the ability to produce the wealth it's all God's anyway We can give everything back to Him. Which raises the question, how much does God expect us to give? Told you, it's not always a comfortable topic. And this is where the rubber hits the road. How much should I give? Well, after God gave us everything through creation and the cross and leaving us the Holy Spirit, after giving us His whole kingdom, how much does He expect back from me? Well, back in the Old Testament, He told the children of Israel, His people at the time, that to remind them that he was the source of every blessing, he instituted a system of tithes and offerings. Now, a tithe, quite simply, is a payment of 10% of everything that we make, and it goes back to God to remind us that it's all his anyway. And offerings, they're free will, out of gratitude, out of whatever you want. You give that to him as well. But when God calls for his tithes, he actually, in the Bible, he makes no appeal to gratitude or to generosity. Although we should show gratitude to God with tithes, because, um, you know, in everything, with tithes, we actually do it because he commands it. Tithe, he says, belongs to the Lord, and he requires that we return it to him. Malachi 3 the prophet through the prophet God says I the Lord do not change this is how he starts I want you to remember that phrase I the Lord do not change and then he goes on to say in your tithes and offerings you are robbing me bring the whole tithe into the storehouse not none of it or part of it you're robbing me I don't change and this is what's happening and when you look through the Old Testament, you see all sorts of examples of this. Abraham, the Bible says, gave to the priest of God, it says, a tithe of everything he had. Jacob also understood tithing, and he made a vow to God. He said this, of all that you give me, I will give a tenth back to you. It's, it's a fundamental principle through the Old Testament. And you know what's really interesting is that statistics today show us that the wealthier someone is, the less they tend to give away as a percentage. To whatever the wealthier someone is the less they tend to give away as a percentage and you know what like we, we all have our excuses the wealthy person looks at this whole 10% principle and goes I can't give 10% because if I were to give 10% I'm so rich if I was to give 10% in actual dollars that's tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions or whatever I can't be expected to give hundreds of thousands and the not so rich person has their excuses they look at this and they go, well, you, you know what, like I, can, I don't know if I can afford to give 10%. If I was rich like him, I could, give the, I could give the 20%, and I'd still have more than what I have now left. We've all got our excuses. And that's because no one feels rich. It's an appetite that's never filled. No one feels rich. But you, did you know that if you earn more than 48000 a year, including super... 48000 a year, including super, you are in the top 1% wealthiest people on this planet. That's in Australian dollars. Some people say that tithing was just for the Israelites. That since Jesus came and died for us, we are no longer under those old laws and those old stipulations. And they use Bible passages to support this view that God just wants us to have a generous heart, and to give out of love and generosity whatever we choose. And there are passages like Second Corinthians where Paul says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And it's it's great advice. God does love a cheerful giver, it's true. He wants his children to give willingly and eagerly and, and excitedly. But that's exactly the problem. You see, people who hold this view usually have some hidden motives, one of two hidden motives. It could be that they don't want to give 10% back to God. They don't want to give that much. It's too hard. It's too much. They don't feel they can afford it. That's one option. And the second option is that And this is often true for people who have grown up in a church that that supports or teaches tithing they often feel that they don't like feeling guilty if they don't give 10% if they don't pay tithe if they don't do that and so they want to do away with that requirement and just have it as you know enough that they give to the poor and they support as as they feel they should out of a sense of gratitude to God, like that text we read from Paul. But there's something interesting about this. You see, tithe is actually a test of faith. Just like Adam and Eve's tree in the Garden of Eden, tithe is a test of trust and obedience to God. It is one that each of us lives with every day, every month, every year. But people who want to do away with tithe forget two things. Firstly, when you point back to the Old Testament and say, well, tithing was there... um, And in the New Testament, God just says that we need to support the poor and give to the poor as we you know feel we should. They forget, they forget the fact that back in the Old Testament God commanded to give ten percent and He commanded that His people, the Israelites, were to care for the needy and give to the poor as much as they could out of gratitude for what God had done. Back in the Old Testament, he, he said both. And he said he never changes. And they also forget a second thing, that in the New Testament, Jesus actually taught that we should tithe. In the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 23, he's talking to the Jewish leaders and he says, shame on you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you frauds. You give a tenth, 10% of every dollar you make, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law and justice and mercy and faithfulness. And then Jesus says this, You should have practiced the latter, the mercy and the justice, as well as giving you 10% tithe. That's what Jesus taught. Do both, it's not one or the other. And here's the clincher. that while we are saved by grace through faith and through Jesus' death on the cross and that there is nothing that we can do to earn our way to heaven, absolutely not. If we aren't loving God and trusting God and being good stewards for God as he's asked us to. We should probably question what our relationship with God is really like. For two reasons. If you can't trust God's promises to care for your life here on earth, for your salvation, for your soul here on earth, do you really trust him to save you for eternity? It comes back to that question of trust. And secondly, in Matthew 25, Jesus tells us quite clearly that our place in his kingdom is actually dependent on how we use what God has given us to help those around us. In Matthew 25, starting in verse 31, this is what he says. He says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left, and then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of my brothers or sisters, you did it for me. See, this is where it gets a bit uncomfortable, doesn't it? Because there's that niggling question in the back of your mind, and I've heard it. People have said it to me. It's like, well, hang on, what does that mean? Like, I mean, what happens? What happens if I give it all away? What happens if I just give everything away, as as it seems to be saying? What happens if I give it all away, and when I come to retire, I have nothing left? What happens if I starve to death? Now, hang on. you're going to have to work pretty jolly hard to starve to death in Australia, let's face it. I mean, yes, it could happen, but there's settling. there's insurances, there's support systems in place, and job support, and other things in place. And, plus, Jesus actually promises that if I seek his kingdom first, that will never happen. But, even if, All of our wonderful first world support structures failed. And even if God forgot his promises to me. What a great way to come before the presence of God at the end of time. To stand before our maker and say, Whoops, (laughs) I took your word too literally and I helped too many people on your behalf. Whoops! Jesus gave us everything so that we could be rich towards God. And then in a massive plot twist, he then asked us to trust him enough to give him everything back. And that's not comfortable for any of us. It's just not. But does that mean that we ignore Jesus' words because they make us uncomfortable? Or should we be leaning into this all the more? Yeah, we're talking about tithe. And we're talking about stewardship. But you know what we're really talking about? We're talking about our faith in God. That's what we're talking about. What do you believe you need in order to have the life you want is Jesus your portion is he enough do you really trust him how are you going to be rich towards god Um, I think we've got one last song and as you sing I want you to think about that I want you to think about those questions what do you need in order to have the life you want is Jesus your portion do you really trust him and how are you going to be rich towards God this week
2: Waiting. Jesus, You're still enough. Keep me within Your love. My heart will sing Your praise again. Your promise still stands. Great
0: Great song choice guys inspired let's bow our heads dear heavenly father uh, thank you for your mercy thank you for your grace thank you for your patience with us thank you for loving us and for saving us for leading us and guiding us through this life thank you for revealing yourself to us thank you for promising to give us more faith when we seek it and that you'll be found when we look for you I just pray that you will help each of us to come deeper in our relationship with you, to grow in faith and trust in you, and to grow rich towards you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless.